welcome to the Boundless Book Club. Today you've got Annabelle, Ahlam, and me, Andrea, here to share some exciting books by or about people with some mad skills. We also have a guest, Flora. Flora Reese is our head of programming at the Emirates Literature Foundation. Hello and welcome, Flora. Hello, and thank you for having me. So um, people with really specialized skills are absolutely fascinating. And it's not just us saying that. Just look at the entire Marvel universe and how many times people have remade the story about the boy who got bitten by a spider and starts to develop unique skills. So we all love people with very specialized skills. But today is not about Peter Parker. Instead, we have some books that illustrate some phenomenal skills of all sorts. So not just climbing and shooting spider webs from our hands. For example, have you ever wondered how animals know where they're going with not even an address or a Google map? That's something that we're gonna to get to in a minute, just after this message from our sponsor. Obsession. It's in everything we do. Many people don't understand the power it has, but to us, without obsession, you're nothing more than a mug. We even obsess about the people who obsess about our coffee. When we heard seven out of 10 people preferred our coffee, people thought we should be happy, but our pursuit of perfection said we must better it until we get a perfect 10. Because with a bit of La Dolce Vita, nobody should have to live with a mediocre coffee. Costa Coffee, obsessed with perfection, every day since 1971. That's also kind of a mad skill to make perfect coffee. Yeah. Um, Before we get to the books, I want to ask you a question. If you could choose one skill to be handed to you, no effort required whatsoever, what would you choose? I've thought about this and... uh, I clearly have reached masses of conclusions. I, I, I think I think what, what really threw me was like having to think about no effort required because I think like and any skill that's awesome is usually awesome because somebody's had to work really, really hard to do it. So because I was thinking, oh, I'll just instantly be an amazing singer or a great musician or something like that. But I don't think that that's satisfying if somebody just hands it to you. So I think something that I could never achieve by learning is so like uh, being able to breathe underwater something like that <laughs> um or regulate no regulate my body temperature anywhere in the world so like in the arctic i would only need like a light jumper that's a quite good skill i think because i can I still like, explore like a human being yeah. but i'd have that added layer of protection i really like that i'm always cold i'd love to be able to do that yeah i think with with if it's skills you know, I would love to be able to play every instrument <laughs> out there and be able to sing to it. I just, I, I love, I can't even play one and I would love to have that. But if it's a superpower, I don't know, probably something like reading people's minds or time travel. Well, why, why do you want to read minds? I'd love to read minds, but not tell anyone that I can read their minds. <laughs> Would you be able to switch it on and off? Because it'd be quite annoying to hear people think about doing laundry. That would be good to be able to control it. Mm. If we're going on this sort of superpower line, um, rather, because I'd love to be able to play the piano and I can't, I want to be able to stop time. 
Mm. You know, so you could just set aside and do what you need to do here and then just come back into the daily life that you're meant to be managing. Yeah, it would be amazing. Or talking to animals. Talking to animals would be <laughs> Yes. Yeah, that would be awesome. Do you know what would really suck though is if you could talk to animals and then you found out that your like lovely pet actually thought you were a bit rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> that would be heartbreaking like oh actually no I don't like you I just live here because you feed me <laughs> but also imagine you can talk to your your dog and you've chosen that out of all the things you can choose the world's your oyster you say I'd like to be able to speak to my animals yeah and all he says day in and day out is I'm a good boy <laughs> <laughs> I would love to speak to my tortoises <laughs> They they seem so wise and they wander around the garden looking just just so so sort of you know purposeful. I'd love to know what's in their minds. I just I just feel like you could be in for such a letdown. You're hoping they're walking around thinking about Nietzsche, but maybe they're just looking for salad and petunias or both. You can be you know you can be wise and look for salad. I mean, I didn't used to think that, but now <laughs> for tortoises that, that might be true. Always choose the fries, guys. Always choose the fries. Um, Andrea, what would your skill be? Your mad skill? Well, I kind of have skill envy now. I'd like to be able to not be cold. Um, but I think I think I would like to speak all the languages. Oh, that's a good I feel a bit bit inadequate because I only speak two um and especially here where everybody's like oh yes I speak Arabic and English and also a bit of French and also I you know dabble in Turkish and by the way I'm completely fluent in three other Indian languages it's interesting that how you know a lot of the things that we want is about being able to connect with more so like languages yeah feeling fine in any weather <laughs> yeah I wonder if it's telling of anything that none of us have chosen like I'd like to be strong enough to throw an asteroid juggle asteroids or something it's the very sensible things we've chosen should we hear what mad skill you have brought for us today Flora Yes, absolutely. Um, I've been really enjoying all the the different books and, and what you find out about what other people can do because it's fascinating. Um, and the book that I've chosen is Everything That Makes Us Human by J.J. Mohan. And what I love about this, so J.J. Mohan um, basically makes life and death decisions on a daily basis because he's a consultant paediatric neurosurgeon in a busy Oxford hospital. Um, and he's written his memoir, it's um, Case Notes, essentially. So kind of reflection of his life, how he's got to where he is, and the patients and the stories that have brought him there. And when you mentioned we're going to be talking about mad skills, this one immediately came to mind because he literally touches people's brains. And he has to do that in a way that doesn't do harm. You know, the first the first um, point is do no first do no harm. And that's a really interesting thing that does come throughout this book because he has these extraordinary skills to, you know, operate particularly on children's brains and of course children are so tiny from from tiny babies up to teenagers he, you know he'll cover whatever is needed and he clearly will drop everything to save a child if he possibly can of course um, but there's so much thinking and imagining and creativity that also seems to go into mapping out what you're going to do once you've opened up somebody's head and you're going inside to try and solve 
whatever problem it is, whether it's um, sadly a tumor or some sort of growth that needs to be removed or a clot, or it's putting in a shunt to drain fluid from the brain, or working with a plastic surgeon when there's a problem that needs to be fixed. And he takes you through his life from the start of, you know, growing up in the 70s in the UK, deciding that he wants to go into medicine and then working out where he wants to specialise. And what's so interesting is he clearly, what he loves about what he does is the puzzle. It's like cryptic crosswords. It's like being Sherlock Holmes. It's like trying to work out what the problem is and how you can fix Mm. it. So that's sort of the, the, the line that he's taken. And it's just reflected right throughout the book. So it's something I've really enjoyed reading. So the cases, he takes you through various different cases in, 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 that, have, that have happened to him in his life. So you, you see the, the children and they're not always happy endings. And I think that's something that's it's really sad, but it's also really important that he shows that. And he shows the impact it has on, on him as, as a doctor, mm-hmm. that he has developed these extraordinary skills. There's a lovely moment where he talks about um, going in to do a shunt on a, on a, on a baby where they, they need to drain the fluid from the brain and you put a tube right the way down into the stomach, into the bowel so the fluid can drain away because otherwise obviously the brain is mm. contained and it just swells. And he says, I looked at the scans. These are two 2D images. I built a 3D model in my head wow. and there's no map. It's done by touch and instinct and he has, to, he, you know, he has to know where to go and where not to go. And it's these hours and hours of building up skill, of training, of going in there and making it work you know under supervision and what I love about how he talks about his life and his work is the humanity that shines through so he's developed these skills through learning and teaching he has a team that he clearly has the most enormous respect for Um, I mean you hear about sort of superstar surgeons who who have the ego the size of a house and that's clearly not him there's a lovely moment when he says he just he'd saved a, a child um, and they said the mum and dad couldn't thank me enough. They spoke to me in front of their daughter as if I was some someone just between Santa Claus and God. Now I'm well aware in real life I'm probably somewhere between Mr. Greedy and Mr. Grumpy. But I I'd be lying if I said we didn't love getting compliments. We don't believe them, sure, but the positives are what we stash away to tide us over the next inevitable dark time around the corner. Wow. And the truth is, the child, the little darling on the bed, didn't know me from Adam. She had no idea I touched her brain. Wow. And so throughout the book this sort of sense that what he's doing is he's treating the whole family and sometimes the most important thing he has to do is nothing and sometimes the most important thing he has to do is literally get inside a child's head and take out whatever is causing the problems or do the best he can to fix it with the knowledge that this is an incredibly serious operation and you know there's no guarantee of 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 recovery and everybody reacts differently um, so I just found the book fascinating. The cases are really interesting. I love the character, the personality that came through from Jay himself. Mm. You thought, you know, if, if, if I was in a situation where I needed one of my children, I would, to have an operation, I would want him to be there wow. <laughs> taking control. So I think these sort of skills are what keep the world turning. Yeah, you know, y- you have very few people with these extremely specialized skills, but he is teaching everyone else how to do it. So he's taking his team along. He, he, you know, he encourages his registrars to do the operations that they can do safely under supervision and so that they can learn and bring the next generation through. And that's part of the skill, I would Mm. say, is not just what you can do, but how you use it and how you teach it to others and how you use that to bring up the whole generation of of, of new doctors. Yeah, I love that you chose that because the skill to actually heal people, um, that makes that person the most important person in so many people's lives when you save lives and do mm. God's work in that way. But definitely, yeah, I changed my mind. I want to be able to cure. <laughs> yeah, I do. And it, it, I think that's that's a really 
interesting point. And I was suddenly thinking of that when we were talking about our superpowers, that actually there's more that we could do for other people. Mm-hmm. And certainly this is, um, and, and I do, I enjoy medical memoirs because you learn so much about both the cases and the medicine, which is fascinating. Medicine from the 20th century onwards. I mean, the things that have been done and look at what's happened this year with the vaccines that have been developed in such a short time and the way that people have been able to work around the clock in order to find something that will, you know, essentially help humanity, save humanity. So drilling right down into one person's career or out into the kind of the wider reach of how medicine develops, I think is something fascinating for everyone. I think, you know, really recommend that people read this book and learn a bit more about him and his his career and the medicine field that he works in. Sounds great. What's the structure like? But the chapter heads are lovely, actually. They're all based on little phrases that have come up in in his cases. So no, first one obviously is do no harm. You've got holy moly. One of the things that I love about him is he does his operations to heavy metal music. You know, he has oh to have something loud and fast playing in the background so that he can absolutely focus in on what he's doing. It's like it takes him out of that. And that's just that's how the setup is. And that's what they do. Then, you know, just another Saturday night, that's when he was in Glasgow, where most of the brain injuries he came from, sadly, were from assault. And he got to recognize different shapes of golf clubs because oh God. that's the impact that they have. Um, everything that makes us human is the name of the the book and essentially that's what he says is you know this is a major risk operation um, and consequences are bound for personality language and learning in fact everything that makes us human so he is so so careful of where the areas in the brain are that you don't go you know the things that you can't do because the most important thing is quality of life after the operation has, has taken place I mean he's obviously got these mad skills in terms of being a surgeon but when you were talking about the fact that you know he has to treat the whole family the you know the other mad skill that he has which is perhaps even trickier than the than the hours and hours of study is having to having to you know talk to parents about you know they're very sick children and how you, how you manage expectations in that way like i'm i'm just blown away by by that and mm. um, mm-hmm. let, let alone the ability to perform these amazing surgeries and that absolutely comes through the book you know he actually says it takes training to dance among the brain cells which is really a rather lovely phrase Mm. yes it takes skill a lifetime of servitude but sometimes it can be the easy way out and the real test is recognizing when operating is not the best option and being willing and able to share the news and that certainly you know he shares the conversations that he's had to have and he's a father himself so you know this all kind of relates back to his own imagination of what would I do and how would I feel? And he clearly feels that every single one of these children is, is, is his, his kids. And the, the, the delight, he, 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 the way he describes these adorable little bundles of humanity on the table, you know, he clearly has that huge sense of um, affection and understanding how important every single one of these, these children is. Um, yeah. It makes me happy to know that he's in the world and other people like him. Definitely. Yes. Yeah. Was it a difficult book to read? I just have to ask because it's it's such a heavy topic in many ways. The, it's fair, it's a fairly light touch in the writing. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of emotion in there. Um, it's it's not a very long book. You know, each each chapter has has a different a different case and his um, reflections on it. I come from a medical family, so I'm quite used to reading or hearing about um surgeries and so on so for me that was it was more the emotions of of the parents and the children and how they um were reacting and the occasional case where where it's very difficult and very difficult to 
get through to parents because obviously the very dark place that they are in is, 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 is almost impossible to reach. So that's the most heartrending thing. But I think it comes away with an overriding sense of, of humanity and, and the importance of the work that he's doing. And I think it's well worth a read. What mad skill have you got, Annabelle? I'm going to start by asking you all a question. And that's, when was the last time you got in your car and you went somewhere and didn't use Google Maps for a new location? Never, honestly. Last time I did that, it, it didn't end well. <laughs> it did, it did end not well. end well. <laughs> I, I, I even use Google Maps coming home because I want to know what the quickest way is. Like, I don't want to be faced with any traffic. I don't even want to waste a minute <laughs> going the busy way. I get that. I get it. So well, I think you might have guessed And the mad skill that I'm talking about today is, is navigation. Um, and when I say that, um, and anybody who knows me sees this, they're just going to, I'm going to leave a gap because this is for them to laugh. There you go. <laughs> You've laughed. Yes, Annabelle is talking about navigation. Move on. But the book I'm talking about is Incredible Journeys by David Barry, Exploring the Wonders of Animal Navigation. Mm. Now, the mad skills in this is, is twofold. So what he's talking about, the wonders of animal navigation is, you know, one mad skill that the natural world has that he's in awe of. And as you read the book and he takes you through various insects and, and mammals that have these incredible navigational skills that depend on either the um, gravitational pull of the earth, the um, position of the sun, or all of these things. So it, it goes through that. But then before you even begin... I'm just going to read David Barry's biography because his life is a mad skill in itself. So at the age of 19, David crossed the Atlantic in a 35 foot yacht. He was a navigator in 1984 in the China Sea Race. Um, he's cruised in the Hebrides, Norway, the Caribbean and British Columbia. He's a fellow of the Royal Institute of Navigation. He also studied experimental psychology and philosophy. He has been a deckhand on a ferry, a diplomat, an intelligence analyst, an arts administrator, and campaigner. And fun bit of trivia, he's the great-great-nephew of J.M. Barry, the famous playwright. Is that it? Wow. <laughs> yeah, just that. <laughs> yeah, nothing much. You know, he's had a fairly quiet life. So some of the scientists that he talks about in this have won an Ig Nobel Prize for their research into dung beetles. Um, and the Ig Nobel Prize is essentially a prize that is given to science that deserves a prize, but is also funny as well. And one of my favorite descriptions is the prize ceremony usually has an actual Nobel Prize winner there in attendance. But they describe the fact that there's a six-year-old who is called upon to basically shut up anyone who's giving a speech when they think, when, when that six-year-old thinks that they've gone on too long. And one of the scientists that he talks about with this dung beetle theory was one of the few people that actually got all the way through their speech without the six-year-old <laughs> going, get off the stage. Um, I think more prize givings should be conducted in that fashion. Absolutely. Um, but you learn that, that there are bacteria that orient themselves depending on magnetism. You know, think, things that you would never really have thought that you wanted to know, but the moment you read David Barry telling you about it, you're like, oh, I absolutely can't believe that I lived without this knowledge about bacteria. <laughs> he, he mentions the slime. I can't remember the slime. Slime mold. The, the, slime mold, which sounds disgusting, but it sounds absolutely extraordinary. You put the slime mold on a, on a representation of the Tokyo city 
um, and left it to do its thing of making connections with itself. And it basically recreated the Tokyo underground system, wow. like the most efficient way to get around this city. Wow. Like he says here about that, they're adept at solving a problem that human designers find challenging, the construction of an efficient rail network. And it's just fascinating that, you know, you've got this slime mold that's able to do stuff that, you know, we find challenging. Which is so you've got, you know, box jellyfish, you've got um, bacteria, slime molds, um, whales as well. Obviously, a lot of birds are focused on in great detail. The albatross comes up and some other smaller birds as well. And I've just, I folded down too many pages. But one of the things that I found uh, really interesting was, do you remember a film, Apollo 13, with Tom Hanks? Yeah. He plays an astronaut called Jim Lovell. And basically, there's there's a scene in the film uh, where his wife is comforted by watching an old TV interview where he's recalling an experience that he had as a young naval pilot. He was trying to land on an aircraft carrier at night. He was running out of fuel. And if he failed to locate the ship, he was going to have to ditch into essentially dark black ocean. And he tried to turn on the cockpit light to consult his chart. His electrical system essentially failed. He lost all his instruments. He was in complete darkness and thought about the, you know, the fact, well, I'm going to have to ditch at any more. I'm gonna, just going to have to jump into the ocean. But then as he looked down, he saw a long glowing green carpet of bioluminescent plankton, which marked the turbulent wake of the very ship he was seeking. It was just leading me home. And if his cockpit lights hadn't, had not failed, he would never have spotted it. So throughout these descriptions of the natural world, you have him constantly reminding you of stop, take a look around. Mm. So this is an anecdote that was recounted by an Inuit elder in 2000, um, revealing how modern technology is threatening old ways. If a young person asks a GPS where certain places, that GPS will tell him, tell that young person. But if that young person approaches an elder and asks where that certain place is, that elder is going to go detail by detail and then describe what is before that, not necessarily where that is. Describe this comes out first, like a bay, a point, an inukshuk, and so on and so forth. As you progress, they'll tell you exactly what to expect. And a youth doesn't have time for that. He wants to know where that place is. And he talks about people who kind of went hiking or went exploring. And, you know, the moment they stopped paying attention to where they were and picking up on those markers was the moment it all went to pieces. So, yeah, I, I highly recommend this. It's quite there's quite a lot of information packed into this. But I mean, if you're anybody who struggles with navigation or just feels like they rely too much on Google Maps, which I think a lot of us do, then I, I just highly recommend the reminder to stop and look around and maybe switch it off once in a while. I will not be held responsible for people being late to their meetings. <laughs> I feel like I, if human beings have like evolved to make life easier and easier and easier and everything that we discover is about you know, how, how do I put the least amount of thinking or effort into this mm -hmm. and get there quicker and faster? And that's mm -hmm. taken away a lot of our connection with our sort of more intuitive traits that we may have evolved if we continue to live in nature or natural habitats or Maybe the reason also that we we don't we don't know where we're going is because there's so much development all the time. You know, if you lived somewhere which hadn't changed in a very long time, I think you would probably know your way around a little bit better too. Yeah, yeah. I think I think it's just being aware that if you don't train those skills mm. when you need them, you're going to have to just be super careful and aware that you don't have True. those yeah. skills. 
And I think that phrase aware is really important because it's so easy to become unaware these days when you've got a phone or you've mm. got technology and you yeah. kind of zone in um, on that and yeah. you're not looking where you're going. And I think, that, yeah, as you say, Aslam, it's really important to, and to stop and look mm. around and, and, and work out where we actually are. There, there are those, I, I wanted to quote Ferris Bueller, but I'm going to move on. Um, there, there are those stories of people who like they're driving and they can see a river, but they follow the GPS and they end up in the river. And he mentions that and it's like, we've got so, we're so reliant on yeah. it. And I'm not saying it's easy to change, but I just, I, I appreciated the, the warning, I suppose. And it's quite funny because we all go, oh, you know, sometimes Google Maps does take you in the wrong direction. And yet we still follow it, mm-hmm. even know, knowing that. But on that point, though, sometimes the roads are, com- well, I say sometimes 90% of the time, the roads are complete spaghetti. So you think you're going one way. You're like, over there on the right, that's where I'm going to go. I'll turn off here. But it'll take you yeah, in the completely yeah. opposite direction. So that's why I think even though you kind of don't really trust Google Maps, you decide to follow it because you think, Maybe they know what I don't. They have a better view from the top. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Turn right to go left. That's the key thing. From animals and getting lost and GPS discussions, where are we heading next? My skill for you today is spacewalking, not moonwalking, which is a completely different skill that we also appreciate, but actually popping out of the International Space Station and having a little stroll in space. And thankfully, you're usually connected to something, so you don't need to be able to navigate very well because you'll have like a rope to pull you back in. And I think we all have a little bit of space fever in the UAE after the Emirati astronaut went to the International Space Station last year. But I think it's absolutely mind blowing to look up at the sky and think that there are humans out there where there is no air. So my book today is by Isabel Thomas who's amazing, by the way, everything that she does. She's a a science writer for children. The book I'm talking about today is called An Adventure's Guide to Outer Space. And it's absolutely fascinating. And like your book, Annabelle, it's just so full of facts. And I should probably point out here that it is actually for children. But, you know, from the age of five or six to, I'd say, about 40, 45, 50, I don't know, (laughs) until you stop being interested. It's fantastic. And it's it's got it it does that wonderful thing that science books for children does, that it gives you lots of really interesting facts, but in a way that's really easy to digest. So it tells you all sorts of things like like any good space book does, it tells you about the International Space Station. Um, Apparently it hasn't actually uh, left the gravity of the Earth, so it's not really in deep space, it just orbits our planet um, once every 90 minutes. So this is is where the mad skills comes in. So if you're on the International Space Station, you're an astronaut, you live there, you will see every 24 hours, you'll see 16 sunrises and 16 sunsets which I think if you are a normal person, that would probably drive you insane, wouldn't it? Like you go loopy with that type of unsettling lack of day and night and, you know, lack of gravity. And No, it's like a rave. Yes, <laughs> sort of, yes. And people go up for sort of six months at a time, don't they? It, it, it's, yeah. it's a long trip. And there are only six people that live there at a time. So you would hope that you can get on with them. 
That's um, another mad skill. Another mad, definitely a mad skill. And one thing that the book does that I think is really great, on every page, it sort of focuses on a different fact. So it might be about the sun or Pluto or whatever it might be. On every page, it has a little box out that kind of says, try this. So one of the things it says is like, hold this book and wave it back and forth. And then you can feel the breeze that you're creating. If you're in space and you do that, there would be no breeze because there's no air to move back and forth which is obvious when you think about it, mm. but you wouldn't think about it unless someone puts that thought in your head, or at least I have never thought that before. And it's so obvious, but it's also really, really fascinating. So yes, I could tell you about all the planets, but I don't want to ruin the surprise. <laughs> there are more? <laughs> there are more. And it tells you, you know, the, t- the type of stuff that kids get really excited about. Like if you're going for a spacewalk and you're wearing this space suit and you have all the different gears, you apparently have a little bit of Velcro inside your helmet so you can kind of scratch an itch if you get an itch on your face while you're out walking. I've always wondered how you manage that sort of thing when you're out on spacewalk for several hours. It's amazing. That'd be maddening, wouldn't it? <laughs> well, you just have to like get the angle right. <laughs> think you would notice an itch being in an environment like that you'd be so out of it'd be like an out of body experience that you won't really be aware of anything in your body really well I think you probably would be aware of some things happening you know astronauts have to wear a nappy because oh, they yeah. obviously yeah, can't yeah. go so that's in there as well which you know is the most delightful fact for most children <laughs> I think I mean obviously yes <laughs> they don't ever talk about what that feels like when you're an adult and when you're walking around in the nappy in space but maybe that's too personal but like that that's something that I've not realized till now like there's somebody who has done that who's gone to the toilet floating in space there are people who walk among us who've done that which I think is quite cool (laughs) I mean I am not sure how to feel about that fact they're probably out of space and wearing the nappy and then they go and they're like well this is cooler than I thought it was less cool than I thought it was gonna be (laughs) you're the ultimate rock star when you're an astronaut right and this just to stop it from getting to your head they're like but also you're walking around with poo in your pants it grounds you it does grounds you ties back to all these developments that we have and everything you know with the navigation we use our gps but we're still basically the same um animals that we always have been yes that that doesn't change Mm -hmm. which is probably a good thing yeah i recommend it to everybody um i will not say anything more about this book at this point i think other than that if you have any small children in your life or big children in your life who are interested in this then it's wonderful sounds great so if we're going to move from stars beyond the universe to stars that walked among us now I think yeah so I the mad skills that I'm going to be talking about is a little bit different I I feel like there's a bit of a science theme in in all of your choices and I'm, I'm going to be speaking about Sri Devi uh, the Eternal Screen Goddess uh, by Satyarth Nayak. So Sri Devi, for those of you who are not huge Bollywood fans <laughs> like I am, you know, is referred to as the first female superstar in Bollywood and someone who had a 50-year career 
because she started acting oh. at the age of four. And she was a, a heroine that played the lead roles to three generations of men, like the grandpa, the son, and the child. And sometimes that's obviously not been a good thing because um, when she was very young, she had to play the leading lady to much older men um, as a teenage mm. actress. But she was on stage in, in movies from the age of four. And, you know, earlier we were talking about wanting to speak uh, every language. So Sri Devi actually acted in Tamil, Telugu, Malayalam, and Hindi. And she basically wow. acted in languages she didn't know. And, you know, India is such a marvel. And it's <clears throat> there's there's so many languages and so many religions and so many cultures in India. Like, it's, it's, a, it's an entire world on its own. And for her to appeal to every single one of these um mark you know segments of of the indian market and you know she's from the south but then she was huge in the south already before going to bollywood and then also completely taking over bollywood and she was you know she was one of those incredible you know superstar actresses who was so beautiful and talented and a leading lady but at the same time wasn't afraid to like make faces and play funny roles and um, you know being a woman playing a man or being a human playing a god or being you know speak, just acting in any language so she was someone who could be and live any role that she was given um, and just you know um, completely embodying the role that that she's given no matter what that is and not being afraid to play sort of daring roles which challenges societal norms and you know just an incredible dancer super funny super actress <laughs> crazy crazy mad skills Sri Devi had and um, the, the book by uh, Satyar Nayak is sort of a biography of Sri Devi starting from the age of four in her first acting role all the way to when she, 50 years later when she actually passed away very sadly in Dubai in February of last year um, when she was here for a relative's wedding and then um, <clears throat> apparently she would uh, she had low blood pressure and sometimes she would just you know faint um, and, and she had an accident and um, drowned in the bathtub uh, just before getting ready, going, oh. going out to dinner to Zuma with her husband. Like it was <clears throat> one of those really oh. tragic moments where she passed away. And Satyarth was writing the book. I mean, he was connected with Sridevi before and they were going to work on it together. And so she was working on her last movie and she's like, let me just finish the film and then we'll work on the book. And then sadly, she passes away. And he was left in this, you know, shocking state where he's like, you know, he's, he, he obviously adores her, had a very close relationship with her. But now he was like, OK, now I have an even greater responsibility to do her justice, write about uh, her incredible career, which um, he worked on with so many directors and film uh, Bollywood actors who had the chance to play alongside Sri Devi or direct a movie for her or were close to her and just gather all of these stories and put them into the book. And then, you know, he also, you know, his book obviously also had a final chapter, um, which it wasn't going to have before 
And um, <clears throat> I really enjoyed the book. I think, you know, if you're a Bollywood fan, if you're a Sri Devi fan, it's a real treat to just relive all of those moments of her career. But um, I would have liked a little bit more about her personal life and her personal struggles or who she was, you know, what effect did it have on her not having a childhood, you know, being on stage from the age of four. And you can see like she had this like, because she was such a, she was a baby basically playing in films. And, you know, she was from that age programmed to be super obedient to the director. You know, the director is like God and she does what, what she is told. And she kind of kept that with her into a 50 year career all the way to the end. You know, like she had this like complete like surrender to the director, complete surrender to the role, which was programmed in her. So the effects that that has on you for not having a normal life and a normal childhood, for uh, playing a romantic scenes with elder men at such a young age. And, you know, there's a scene where the first love story that she plays in, you know, the director is like, I mean, what are you doing? Don't you know what love is if you don't go home and watch some movies? <laughs> you know, and she's kind of like, you know, I've never been in love. I don't, I don't know what this Aww. is. But then oh, to go away and come back and play it so beautifully as well it requires mad skills. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. She's just one of those eternal screen goddesses, honestly. And, and it's the perfect title for the book. Does she have a, a known surname or is she just Sri Devi? Uh, good point. She's kind of like Beyonce. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think so. And she has an extraordinarily expressive face, doesn't she? I mean, that's one of the things that must have led yeah. her to becoming so successful so young. You you, you watch the yeah. clips of her movies and, and what she does with her eyes alone. You know, she's really, really expressive as an actress. Yeah, I think, you know, her eyes are such a big part of her doing a really good job and playing the roles. And one time she had to play like a blind role and she she couldn't do it well enough, you know, because it's such a big part of how she expresses herself. Yeah. So uh, Satyarth is going to be with us at the festival and, um, you know, I look forward to asking him more questions and and finding out more about Sri Devi's amazing life for, from someone who knew her so intimately. And the book was actually, um, you know, supported by Bonnie Kapoor, who is uh, Sri Devi's husband. And so you can, you can see that it was kept very respectful. It was kept very much a, a tribute to her career um, and not so much about her private life but uh, definitely a fascinating read for anyone who loves Bollywood and Sri Devi, the queen. If you're a Bollywood newbie, mm -hmm. will this book be enlightening or confusing? Can I answer that one? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I would say Laura? enlightening. Yeah, I, I, I was found it really, really interesting. I, you know, I, I grew up in the oh. UK, not in a, a, a culture saturated by Bollywood, which I know, you know, here in the UAE, has been very much part of life for a very long time. Um, and so I, you know, I, I was reading the book. It tells you a lot about the history of, you know, how the films progressed and what her part is, was in it. And I had to keep going to YouTube to see clips and see what this different role was and what this different part was. So I think it's, I think it's enlightening. Mm. Yeah, it, and, and you know, there are moments where um, even being the huge star that she is, she still had to deal with 
some of the same issues that women deal with all over the world, even at her level, you know, having to deal with men making passes at her and then taking it hardly when she turns them down and kind of messing with her and messing with her career. And um, so there's definitely moments where which humanize her in that way and you really feel for her. Um, yeah, it's a great book. Definitely recommend it. <laughs> Sounds really interesting. It's what what a shame for him to not get her actual voice yeah. in it the way it was planned. Yeah, definitely. And he found some rare uh, collections of photos of her from the 80s and 90s. And two really beautiful photos are used for the back and front covers of, of the book. And she was just gorgeous. My dad was in a Bollywood movie. Really? I love the story. He was? <laughs> <laughs> Which one? We have no idea. Um, <laughs> he was working in India in Andhra Pradesh and uh, he was staying in a hotel, like just working in construction and he walked out of the lift and he, he was just an extra. They basically said, sir, can you go back and do that again? And so he did. <laughs> and he has no idea to this day, like somewhere there is a Bollywood film with my dad very young. Walking out of oh a lift. God. Walking out of a lift with a briefcase. cool. And... It's always going to be a mystery because I've no because there's so many. I don't think I'll ever. Oh my god! Yeah. Forever, I'm going to be paying attention to white men coming out of elevators <laughs> in Bollywood movies. <laughs> like Annabelle, is that one him? Is that him? Is that him? <laughs> Do let me know if you find anything. I feel like it's one of those things that I'll discover when I'm in my 80s and in an old people's home. I'll be like, there that he is. is. So cool. I mean, anytime I watch a Bollywood film, I'm like, how cool is it to be on this set? Because I, I actually was super lucky and I, get, I got to work on some of the Bollywood shoots that we did here in Dubai in the past. Uh, and uh, it's just always this like larger than life kind of set. And it's just so fun to be on the set. And for every, every single person that's on there, it's just such an experience, you know, breaking out into color and dresses and dancing and music and everything feels like a Disney film, really. <laughs> it sounds exhausting. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to the Boundless Book Club. Thank you, Flora, for joining us today. We're going to be very busy in the coming weeks with the Emirates Airline Festival of Literature and all the authors who are taking part, which includes all the authors we have spoken about today. So we are taking a very short break and then we'll be back with more amazing books you need in your life we have had some great suggestions for topics to tackle and if you've sent one in we will get to it if you do want to suggest a topic or ask a question you can send us an email on comms at emiratesliptfest.com until next time stay safe and read the book